Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This episode is a very special one only for Max Fund supporters. So if you are listening to this right now, you are a monthly donor to Maximum Fund, and I just want to say I love you very much. And this is Judge John Hodgman, and I want to say I love you even more. Oh, wow. I didn't even know it was a contest. Oh, yeah. It's a contest. In fact, this very episode is a contest. Explain, Jesse. Well, we get a lot of letters here at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Folks who have feedback, constructive criticism, slightly less than constructive criticism. It's one of the great joys of our program. And we don't always have the time to share all of the letters we get. But today, on this episode, we are dedicating ourselves to a very special genre of letters that we receive. Uh, they are the more careful letters. Pedantry. More... Pedantry. Yes, okay. <laughs> We've called it before. I'll call it again. It's pedantry. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying, all of you who are currently firing up your emails to criticize Jesse on his pronunciation of genre. <laughs> By the way, I think you did a fine job pronouncing genre. I like to think I have a certain je ne sais quoi. Ah, uh, mais oui. In conclusion, Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> eh, tête de cheval. So, listen, one of the great pleasures of doing the Judge John Hodgman podcast is hearing from you, the listeners, having this open email address for you to send in your thoughts, your responses, your compliments, and very occasionally, who am I kidding, all the time, your critiques of the things that I messed up on, if I mispronounced something, if I spoke ungrammatically, uh, things that I have forgotten about Battlestar Galactica, things that I have forgotten about the physiognomy of the Daleks, uh, all the things that you have time to think about and correct me on because you're not hosting a podcast, you're just listening to one. That sounded very bitter. I'm sorry. The truth is, Hodgman at MaximumFun.org is a wonderful uh, channel between you and me. I'm so glad to read your letters every time. And even the pedantry excites me because it oftentimes lets me know about stuff I didn't know about before. And so we have picked some of the best, uh, most pedantic letters, uh, not merely complaints, but complaints and critiques that A, are deserved, and B, open up whole new realms of interesting information. So thank you. It is, John. Judge John Hodgman's first ever pageant of pedantry. It is a pageant, which is to say, as I promised, this is a contest. That's right, John. We're going to hear some of the most pedantic letters we have ever received. And at the end, I, Judge John Hodgman, will judge one of you, the winner of the Mr. Miss Mrs. Ms. MX non-binary Judge John Hodgman pageant of pedantry winner 2018. And probably someone is writing in right now to tell me about a title or appellation that I forgot. But in any case, Jesse, why don't you start us off? Here's something from Bruce. Your Honor, I'm Bruce, and I'm writing with a pedantic quibble. In episode number 174 unreasonable scorch and leisure, you agreed with the plaintiff's formulation, it will be me and my girlfriend, on the grounds of the phrase, me and my girlfriend, is the object of will be. 
This would be true were the predicate another verb. For example, every night you will see me and my girlfriend at the bar sipping moxie mocktails. But the verb to be takes a noun complement, not a direct object. So pronouns stay in the nominative form, not the accusative. Hence, it will be my girlfriend and I. Uh, oh, <laughs> this is a hard one. This is a hard one. I want to fight back so hard, Bruce, because this is a central conflict on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Not a conflict so much as a motif that I am consistently criticizing my dear bailiff, Jesse Thorne, for saying me and Jordan went to the store or me and Jordan host another podcast called Jordan Jesse Go or me and Jordan gave Judge John Hodgman life by hosting it as a segment on Jordan Jesse Go because me and Jordan is ungrammatical, but lots of people say it anyway. The young people of today are saying me and our friends are saying this all the time. I probably overcorrected in this episode. This goes way back to 174. And obviously I forgot the golden rule. Pronouns stay in the nominative form, not the accusative. You're right, Bruce. I won't fight back. This is about listening and accepting. You're right. I accept your pedantry. Ugh. I refuse it. Oh, no. That's right. Me and Jesse refuse it. I refuse to accept it. I take it back. I refuse to accept, and I, from here until the end of time, I refuse to accept any grammar pedantry on the grounds that I got an 800 on the verbal SAT. The day I found out I got an 800 on the verbal SAT, I said, I know enough about grammar. I will never learn anything else. That's where you stopped, right then. Yeah. Drew a line at age 17 (laughs) and have never learned again. Well, I am going to say, Bruce, that there are two people who will accept your judgment, and it will be Jesse and I. (laughs) Okay, so Jeffrey wrote in about a docket ruling from episode number 327, Little Weirdsies, with guest Linda Holmes. Hi, Linda. Hi, Linda. Dan wanted his wife to stop requesting he get her a fresh glass of water to replace the perfectly fine older glass of water she already had. Hello, Judge Hodgman. My name is Jeffrey, and I just wanted to let you know that there is an actual difference between stale and fresh water. Water has been sitting out overnight, in addition to the dust and whatnot, chemically changes. The carbon dioxide in the water dissolves to carbonic acid over time and turns that fresh glass of water from the night before into a glass of acid rain. So yes, while the wife should get her own glass of water, she is correct in that it's chemically different as well as tastes different. I hope this helps. Have a great one. And then Jeffrey sent in a fascinating link to an article in Smithsonian Magazine. Not only was the link fascinating, the article itself was fascinating. I got you guys before you could correct me on that one. Thank you, Jeffrey. I had no idea that there was such a chemical difference between stale water and fresh water. That's why you and my bailiff, Jesse Thorne, are two tall glasses of fresh water. And Dan, the lazy husband, is a mug of acid rain. Let's be fair, Judge Hodgman. I'm fetid water. You know you're not at all. You're fetid only in the homonymic sense of I fet you, that is, throw oh. you a French party. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. Encore. Moving on. Here's something from Art about episode 332, which was a docket episode with guests Jonathan Colton and our friend Joel Mann at the judge's summer chambers at WERU. 
Hello, Judge Hodgman. This is Arthur in Minneapolis. You used an interesting word in the podcast which intrigued me. You said that this quadribunal of white men wasn't going to solve the particular case you were discussing. I love a bit of wordplay, and this got me to thinking, where does the word tribunal come from? Was it originally three judges or something? That is what I presumed. That is what I presumed. I went searching and got some info from Merriam-Webster. Turns out you were incorrect in changing tribunal to quadribunal, because the word tribunal does not use the prefix tri, meaning three of something. The word comes from the Latin tribunus, which is the platform or dais from which an assembly is addressed. I'm not complaining. I like the joke regardless. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Art. <laughs> Thanks, Art. I didn't know that. About I just presumed that it meant three judges. But Art, what you didn't realize that I was not referring to a quadribunal of four white men, but rather a quadribunal, which is a kind of super tribunal, a super dais uh, upon which all four of us white dudes were uh, perched because uh, uh, Joel Mann, our engineer up in Maine, is very crafty. And he built us, it's basically kind of a, a sun porch called a quadribunal. That's what I meant. No, that's not what I meant. You were, you were right. I was wrong. You, you, good judging, Art. Yeah, and that sun porch is just called the sun porch. Doesn't doesn't have a special name. Solarium. <laughs> Thanks to Joel for building that lovely sun porch, though. This next one is from Christy. It's all about another docket dispute we heard in episode 332. Hi, Judge Hodgman and Bailiff Jesse. My name's Christy, and I'm writing regarding the docket case between Lindsay and Thayer about hotel toiletries. While I do not condone taking extra toiletries for hoarding, I do have a suggestion to them, and any listeners should you choose to share it. My mother's on the board of her local rape crisis center and says that they and other similar providers are often seeking donations of travel-sized toiletries for assault victims. People often must leave a situation with little on them. A clean shower and a chance to brush their teeth can be a simple but easy way to feel a bit normal again after a horrifying event. I'd also venture to guess that homeless shelters and food banks would similarly welcome hotel toiletry donations. There's no need to steal extra just to donate, but any incidental extras may be very welcome to any of the organizations or centers I've mentioned. That was very thoughtful. That's not a correction, Christy. Just a very thoughtful suggestion for making the community of Judge John Hodgman listeners a little bit more generous. And I think that's amazing. I'm ordering every Judge John Hodgman listener, next time you go to a hotel, take an extra shampoo conditioner, uh, shower douche, whatever it is, and, you know, donate it to your local shelter, food bank, crisis center, whatever it might be, wherever it might be of use. And by an extra, I mean take them all. Sorry. Especially if it's Courtyard Marriott. Because they, <laughs> <laughs> this is anti-buzz marketing. The, you can't fool me, Courtyard Marriott, with your lobbies full of pots of wheatgrass, making it look all contemporary or whatever. Give me some r- room service or else you're not a real hotel. I'm stealing your shampoos. Oh, wow. So this is you're stealing the shampoos to punish them for not having room service? Well. <laughs> or are you just, you're stealing the shampoos uh, because you want to help people in need, I guess. No, Jesse. Christy and I are stealing shampoos to help people in need. It's called vigilanteism. you should try it sometime (laughs) and it's totally antithetical to the entire podcast but i think if you do find yourself let's just say 
If you accidentally empty a bunch of mini shampoos into your handbag, you can put them to good use. That's a lovely point. Um, This is something from Beth. It's about episode 350, which was called Duplo Jeopardy. Oh, Jesse, let me just tell you right now. This is truly one of my favorite pedantic letters. This is a case of a Judge John Hodgman listener sharing with us some true expertise. I wish also that all Judge John Hodgman letters would start with the phrase that this uh, letter starts with. As a herpetologist, I think you ultimately came to the right conclusion. Turtles are by far the cooler animal. However, you suggested that penguins, in fact, would be literally cooler. In fact, cold. I want to correct you. Wait, of course penguins are cold. Look at where they live. Cold places. Yeah, burr. That's what they're saying to each other all the time. (laughs) That's right. Burr, let's dance. Turtles are ectotherms, meaning that their metabolism doesn't produce enough excess heat to keep their body processes running smoothly. Instead, they get their heat from their environment. Even when turtles are active, their body temperature can be around 16 degrees Celsius or 61 degrees Fahrenheit. During hibernation, their body temperature can get very close to freezing. Penguins, in contrast, are endotherms, meaning that their metabolism produces enough heat to keep their body processes running, even in cold environments. The core body temperatures of diving king penguins, for example, never go below 35 degrees Celsius or 95 degrees Fahrenheit. So, both figuratively and literally, I think it's fair to say that turtles are cooler than penguins. The only exceptions would be turtles living in deserts or the tropics, but they're still pretty cool. Oh, my goodness. Well, I accept your correction. Thank you very much, Beth, the herpetologist. I had not considered the fact that uh, turtles are ectotherms and penguins. They run hot, even even diving king penguins. You know what they run, Jesse? How hot? Well, never below 35 degrees Celsius or 95 degrees Fahrenheit. That's pretty hot. I like the idea that in order to compose this thoughtful reply... Beth got on the horn with her penguin expert friend and was like, you know how you said if I ever needed a favor, I could call you? I need to know what temperature penguins run at. Well, but you misquote her because she actually called her penguin expert and said, as a herpetologist, I'm calling you (laughs) to find out the average temperature of a diving king penguin. I believe some (laughs) professional collegial courtesy is required here. Thank you very much. By the way, I thought for a moment, just for time and brevity, to simply edit out the 16 degrees Celsius and the 35 degrees Celsius, just put it in Fahrenheit, but then I remembered something. So many of our great listeners are up there in Canada, and that's how they think, so I left it in. I did, however, on the fly just now, edit all of the letters that we have yet to read to start as a herpetologist, because I agree with you. They should all start that way. And from now on, listeners of Judge John Hodgman, if you want to send me a pedantic letter, start it this way, as a herpetologist. Should we take a break? No, we don't need to take a break. This is a donor episode. This is for the donors, baby. Oh, it's bought and paid for. We love you out there. We love you so much. Yeah, this would be a great time for a break. But uh, no, we march on through the pageant of pedantry. So, Jesse, these next two are an example of, uh, I I believe the term is adverse pedantry. I know that's wrong, so I'll get letters. (laughs) But it's opposite pedantry, both of which sound equally convincing. The first one is from Laura. 
As a herpetologist, I was just listening to a recent Clearing the Docket (laughs) episode and heard the bit at the end about ATM errors while I happened to be filling the ATM at my place of employment. I run a bar on campus in New Haven for Yale graduate and professional students. We're a cash-only establishment with an ATM on-premises. So about once a week, I fill the ATM using all the $20 bills collected the previous week. This process includes balancing the ATM to ensure no errors have been made. I've been doing this about once a week for almost four years, and I've never had an error. So I rule that you should trust ATMs and not count your money. But I'm not a world-famous internet judge. Jesse, you'll remember from this episode that I always count my money from the ATM. And you were like, you're crazy, old man. You don't need to count that money. Computers are doing it for you. Would that be an accurate representation of your point of view? That would be a reductive representation of my point of view. My point of view has a secondary component, which is that I believe that they also have no motive to undercount the bills. And so you're as likely to get an extra $20 bill as you are uh, to get one $20 bill too few. And so given the rare instance of this actually occurring and the fact that it's about a wash one way or the other, it's not worth the time. And I also added to it that as a man who currently lives in an urban part of an urban city and grew up in an even more urban part of an urban city, uh, I am loath to count my money in public. Right. Uh, that I definitely can appreciate. But here you have Laura, who is running the uh, Yale Graduate and Professional Student uh, Center at Yale, Uh, The bar down there for graduate students that I've been in, even before I was a graduate student, if you know what I mean, Mm. uh, she's saying she restocks the ATM every night herself with the $20 bills from the till, which is, by the way, great recycling, Laura, well done. (laughs) And, And there's never been an error. So that's one for you. Now, here's one from Katie about the same episode. I work in the IT slash data processing department at a small bank. Every step of a transaction, whether it is made at the teller window, mailed in, automated, or processed at the ATM, it's double and triple checked by multiple people in departments. With that said, ATMs malfunction. We balance ours every day, and occasionally it will be out of balance, which means someone got the wrong amount of money, and if they didn't report it to us, we can't correct the mistake. While the bank tries to be as thorough and accurate as possible, every process has room for error, so please count your money at the ATM. Completely opposite, different form of pedantry. She says, I do have to count it. We're stuck in a pedantry feedback loop here. I think I have a solution, though. I think I've figured this out. Yeah? Well, Laura says we don't have to count the money because she personally restocks it every night and there's never been an error. Katie says you should probably count it because they restock it every night and there are sometimes errors. I am not merely a judge. I am the world's ninth greatest detective. And I can tell you right now, Laura is ripping off the Yale graduate student bar. (laughs) This is just her cover. She's out there saying, well, there's never an error. You don't have to count the money. Come on and have a glass of beer, graduate students. For sure. Take the money out. For sure. It's going to be accurate. You've heard it on a popular podcast. And she's going to palm off a couple of 20s once a week, I'm sure. Laura, you're a thief. You can make up for it by going to a local hotel in New Haven and getting some shampoos and delivering them to a crisis center, and then you'll be okay. I have a solution. It's an alternative solution. What is it? 
Well, you know, Laura says that there's never been an error. Katie says sometimes there are errors. The question is, do you count your money at the ATM? My solution is only count your money at the ATM if there is an error. Oh, that's like, that's like when, when my mom started leaving me home alone for the first time when I was a kid. And she, she was all saying, giving me all of these cautions, like, you know, don't answer the door to strangers. Uh, don't leave the house without leaving a note. And then one thing she said is, only answer the phone if it rings. <laughs> she didn't know what she was talking about. Oh, my mom. <laughs> uh, so we also got some corrections. You you made a passing mention in that same ATM-related episode. Yeah, this, is, this episode's given us a lot of material. Where you described Daleks from Doctor Who, which is a, a popular television show that I don't understand why people like. Uh, you called them walking ATMs. Well, no. First of all, I called them Daleks, not Daleks. And then I okay. called them walking ATMs. Got it. So what critique did I receive for this? By the way, when I said that I don't understand why people like it, please don't tell me why you like it. <laughs> Not you, John. You're welcome to tell me uh, why you like it, like sometimes socially or something. My email, but, by the way, is hodgman at maximumfund.org. And if you'd like to explain to Jesse why you like Doctor Who, I'd be happy to forward those along. Oh, no. Do not expect a response from me or Jesse, but do know that you have my word. Those letters will be delivered. I want to make it clear that you have an alternate way to reach me. It's what we've been doing lately on Jordan Jesse Go. If you have thoughts uh, about the show or about my opinions of Doctor Who, which I think is fine. I don't really dislike no. Doctor Who. Uh, but if you have thoughts about it, uh, go ahead and tweet those to at Gas Station TV. Uh, at Gas Station TV. Let the folks at Gas Station TV know what you think about the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Is that a Twitter account for... <laughs> Television shows on the gas station pumps? Yes. Great. I'll be sending in my recommendations ASAP. <laughs> Dear gas station pumps, would you consider commissioning a fourth season of Bored to Death? I can guarantee <laughs> participation of one cast member. <laughs> Someone write that up and tweet it. In fact, all of you write it up and tweet it to at gas station TV. John, you don't have to convince me to be on board with this one. Bored to Death is my Doctor Who. I loved Bored to Death so much and will continue to love it when that fourth season gets picked up by the good folks at Gas Station TV. Yeah, well, you know, Doctor Who was off the air for almost two decades with only one TV movie featuring Paul McGann as the eighth Doctor, his only television appearance. Uh, before Christopher Eccleston revived the series, it could very well come back. Bored to Death could very well come back on your gas station pumps. Uh, or perhaps your uh, your electric car chargers. We'll see what happens, what the future brings. None of us can predict it. But I do know that we do have some pedantry regarding Daleks and ATMs. Jesse, do you want to read this uh, letter? Wasn't Peter Capaldi Doctor Who at one point? He was. I mean, the doctor from Doctor Who. Oh, I almost stepped in it there. <laughs> no, you know, you know what? Doctor Who is now acceptable. Oh, thank goodness. After a long, long period of that being a critical error to call the doctor Doctor Who. I can't. They changed their minds when they heard what score I got on the English part of the SATs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Someone changed, I'm going to, th I don't know who it was, but I'm going to say his mind and said it's probably okay to say Doctor Who. That's great. Anyway, yes, Peter Capaldi was a Doctor Who. He was the most recent Doctor Who. 
So then I support Doctor Who as a vehicle to convince people to watch the show the thick of it. Oh, yeah. Watch Peter Capaldi act. Watch all these actors act. They're incredible. And I'm looking forward to Jodie Whittaker as the new Doctor Who. I said it. Local Hero. That's a lovely film starring Peter Capaldi. Okay, here we go. May it please the court. This is from Evan. Daleks are actually mutant aliens encased in mobile mini tank thingies. I'm not actually a Doctor Who fan. That must be why you mispronounced Dalek. But I read about this in the New Yorker a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh. This is like this is like if I wrote in a letter to complain about Doctor Who. Pretty pretty <laughs> sniffy, Evan. Thought you would want to know so you could nip it in the bud given the oncoming onslaught of criticism from the bona fide nerds. P.S. I am a herpetologist. I knew that guy was a herpetologist. Herpetologists love the New Yorker, like all right-thinking Americans. Well, thank you, Evan, for trying to save me from the onslaught of criticism, but too late. We got at least one more note from another person, and that person is named John. With respect, Your Honor, Daleks are not walk-in ATM machines. They're organic there are species, most notably evidence when Rose touches the lone Dalek prisoner, and later it opens up its casing to reveal itself to her. Also, Dalek Supreme is a big old swiggly mess of tentacles and an eyeball. I have to say all of that is true. John is also correct, and I stand corrected. They are not machines. They are organic, weird squid thingies encased in a movable tank thingy. No, no. Dalek Supreme has two patties and American cheese. That's what they call it in, in France, but in the United States, they call it a quarter Dalek with cheese. Got it. It's a, oh, it's a, it's a movie reference. What's the next one? <laughs> Should we do any more 25-year-old jokes before we get to this next letter? Okay. <laughs> okay, here comes some more nerdery from a very different John. Hello, Honorable Judge John Hodgman and pie-hole-shutting bailiff Jesse Thorne. In a recent docket clearing episode, number 352, the Battlestar Galactus Generation, Vale of Jesse was trying to remember the names of the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica that spent their time in vats of goo. I would wager you've received many emails and tweets about this, but I believe he was referring to hybrids, the humanoid Cylons integrated into the base stars who function as the ship's computer. Thank you for your time and for the opportunity this morning to yell, Hybrid! Hybrid! at my stereo instead of thinking about world events. Thank you. I don't think there is any science fiction thing, and I enjoy science fiction, but I don't think there's any science fiction thing that in this form does not sound insanely stupid. <laughs> like in the form of a letter of complaint. Nerd talk is really one of the most beautiful languages. I mean, like right, right up there with Italian. Like you don't have to understand what it means. It just sounds so beautiful to hear. I feel like the people who invented, you know, 20th century and later science fiction all got together in one of those science fiction clubs before it was called science fiction. And they were like, uh, man, our club for making up funny words for ideas we thought of is great, but we need something to sell it to the public. Let's also invent science fiction narratives. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, thank you for reminding me of the hybrid, which is one of the Cylons that is integrated into the base star's computer on Battlestar Galactica, the reimagining by Ron Moore and David Icke, the David Icke, the TV producer, not the anti-Semite conspiracy theorist. That's a different spelling. 
and I appreciate you reminding me of this character, but I will say not to lob this nerd ball back at you, but <laughs> pretty much all the humanoid Cylons spent some time in that goo. That was the goo where they built their bodies, and if you died out in space, your consciousness would be shot back to that body, and you'd wake up and you'd go, and you'd have to spit out goo so you could get up there and start fighting again, or searching for God. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, they go, and then exactly right. I never got to do that on Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. What's that? That one tricky guy was a Cylon, right? Doctor, what's his name? Baltar? Yeah. Mm, that guy. No, I don't was think. Was he a Cylon? I may have to rewatch this. I don't think Baltar. I think there was some question about whether he was a Cylon or not and whether he knew he was a Cylon or not. Now, Edward James Olmos was definitely an inspirational school teacher, right? He was definitely an origamist, and he was partnered to a replicant in Los An- 2019 Los Angeles. That's for sure. Got it. Mm, we nerded out pretty good there, Jesse. Hey, I need to rewatch that Battlestar Galactica so I can know what I'm talking about. I can hang sometimes, John. <laughs> one of these days, we're going to get another episode besides that one that was about Joey Votto, Red's first baseman, Joey Votto, mm-hmm. where I can bust out things I know from having spent my entire childhood reading books about baseball. <laughs> um, like one, one day, we're just going to, we're really going to need a guy on air who has read Robert Whiting's. Uh, seminal history of Japanese baseball, you got to have wah. Why don't we, um, is, is Robert Whiting still alive? Not to mention the other book, Chrysanthemum and the Bat, which I also read, is less heralded, but no less su- superb other history of Japanese baseball. Is the author of that book, Dr. Bob Chrysanthemum, still alive? <laughs> yes. You got to have one or both of them on the guest is the on the program. All Japanese baseball questions. I, look, if we did a, oh my goodness, yes, I would totally enjoy an all Japanese baseball episode of Judge John Hodgman. And in fact, I'm making this announcement a year in advance. Listeners, donors, this time next year, you will be listening to a all Japanese baseball episode of Judge John Hodgman to make Jesse Thorne happy. It'll be a donors only <laughs> episode. And you will have a good time listening to it because only you donors will know that you made it happen by donating this year. I want to hear from an American professional baseball player headed to Japan who has to decide whether the back of their jersey should have their first name or their family name. Because uh, different American baseball players playing in Japan uh, make different choices around that. And I don't know why they're allowed to, but I know that when I was in Japan as a kid, uh, Scott Coolbaugh, uh, third baseman, former Major League third baseman, was playing in Japan. And his jersey said Coolbaugh. But then former Houston Astros slugging first baseman Glenn Davis was playing in Japan as well. And his jersey said Guren. The Centurions developed the hybrids on their own while attempting to evolve, but nothing <laughs> that could live independently. They agreed to cease the war with humanity in exchange for the final five, building them fully humanoid Cylons with the ability to resurrect. Now everyone's happy. I like that story, Jesse. Listen, if you were to go play uh, baseball in Japan, what would what name would you put on the back of your jersey? Wow, that's tough. I mean, there's there's the temptation to just have it say America's Radio Sweetheart. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, Bailiff Supreme. 
Oh, yeah. Or Kid Super. <laughs> Kid Super. Sold in the room, John. All right. Uh, now I got to work on my knuckleball. I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's something about the verdict in number 334, Pro Patink All the Way, from Ian and Olivia. My name is Ian And if it pleases the court, at one point during the episode, you suggested that your listeners should try putting rats and guinea pigs together. While I'm sure you thought this would be adorable, this is a bad idea. Rats are omnivorous and may feel threatened by the guinea pigs. Neither has a good way of communicating with the other, and guinea pigs are not very good at defending themselves if the rats get aggressive. Yeah, I don't even remember suggesting putting rats and guinea pigs together in a cage. It sounds like me. Thank you for <laughs> catching it, Ian and Olivia, because that horrible experiment in which I use guinea pigs as literal guinea pigs, <laughs> it sounds like it could have gone horribly wrong. I hope no one actually ever did this. I think in this case, you're using literal guinea pigs as figurative guinea pigs. Not to get pedantic. No, I accept it. <laughs> I appreciate that this particular episode is about listening, not defending. Okay, you're right. If it helps you at all, I got an 800 on the verbal SAT. <laughs> you know what? You did better than me. Well done. <laughs> I think I got a 740. I think was, that that's, was that's still pretty. I mean, it was good enough to get you into an Ivy League university. Right. I went to a second tier public school. Let me tell you, I killed it on the essay. While I agree with. Ian and Olivia, that probably you should not just be throwing different kinds of animals into a cage to see if they can live together, particularly hyper-intelligent and omnivorous rats and slightly slower-moving and dumber and defenseless guinea pigs. I will submit that if you really want to see how this works out, there's at least one YouTube in which a rat is hanging out with two guinea pigs in a neutral environment, not in a cage. And the three of those animals are getting along famously. And we will post it on the show page at MaximumFun.org and maybe put a link to it as on the Instagram page. But I order Jennifer Marmer to offer no explanation for why we're showing this so the non-donors don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's pretty cute. Pretty cute. I love it. I love unlikely animal friends. The pandering things that I love most on the internet are unlikely animal friends. And those videos where an animal that shouldn't be indoors is sliding around on a hardwood floor. Oh, you mean like when a a deer accidentally wanders into a bodega? Yeah, like a baby goat, you know, oh. in, is in a ranch house somewhere. Yeah, these hooves were not meant for linoleum. <laughs> oh, man, I love those little guys. Oh. And gals. All right, so now I have on my... Gift list for you this year is a, a Japanese. What's your favorite Japanese baseball team? Them Carps. Wow, that's a that's a tough question. I'm going to go with because when I was in Japan, I was in uh, Kyoto, which is next to Osaka, which is where the Hanshin Tigers play. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll go with the Hanshin Tigers. And uh, at the time, the star of the team was Shinjo, who later went on to play for my favorite American baseball team, the San Francisco Giants. Okay, so I'm going to get you a Hanshin. Giants jersey with Kid Super on the back. What number do you want? I mean, 69, right? <laughs> of course, 420. Got it. <laughs> Plus one fainting goat. 
<laughs> yes. Sounds good. I'm I'm getting my shopping done early this year. You know, have you ever had the experience where you try to watch the Winter Olympics and then you remember that you don't care that much about any of the sports in the Winter Olympics because uh, you've like barely ever been skiing or anything? Uh no, I usually I find the Winter Olympics much more compelling than the Summer Olympics because I like sliding so much. But go on uh, with your point. I'm just saying that I would definitely watch the crap out of the Winter Olympics if one of the sports was putting animals that don't belong on ice on ice. And th- but they would have to be nice to them after they slipped around, like give them a treat that they really love. Yeah, the sport would be called Awkward Animals on Ice then Nice. <laughs> Another gold medal for America. Well, this episode, <laughs> Pro-Patink All the Way, actually garnered quite a few pedantic corrections, including one from Carla. Hello, Your Honor. This is Carla. I know the court loathes a correction from a pedant, but this seems more of a safety issue. In Pro-Patink All the Way, a man wrote about what side of a mixed-use bike path he should walk on and thought it should be the left. While I generally love your takedowns of weird dudes with their own system, this dude is right. On all mixed-use paths I've been on, bikes are on the right and walkers on the left. This way they can see a bike coming toward them and both can get out of each other's way more easily. I submit as evidence pictures of the explanatory signs on most of these paths. One from Rhode Island in your own New England and one in California. And indeed, Carla did send in photos. Uh, They do not seem to be doctored in any way. Uh, of signs, uh, obviously and clearly instructing walkers to keep to the left and bikers to stay to the right. And I apologize. Another person in Rhode Island named James wrote in about this, and a couple other people did as well, saying, no, in our recreational environment, there are signs clearly indicating that walkers and pedestrians should stay to the left and bikers should stay on the right. And I uh, I would never encourage any of you to uh, go against what a sign tells you to do. Uh, As you know, I am an only child and I obey the rules and I order you to do the same thing. So I apologize. Pedantry received and logged. So here's something uh, from someone, and this is our final letter of the episode, from someone who is writing to you about perhaps our most beloved signature decision on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Beloved by all but one, me. (laughs) Yeah. But go on. It really is exhausting. Yeah. Um, And that is that famous piece of settled law on the Judge John Hodgman show, hot dogs are not a sandwich. So here's something from Alex. Hey, everybody. This is Alex, and I just saw your bit on The Tonight Show about whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich. Your argument can be summed up thusly. 1. All sandwiches have cut-in-half ability. 2. A hot dog does not have cut-in-half ability. Therefore, a hot dog is not a sandwich. Now, in order for your premise 1 to be true, you must presuppose that a hot dog is not a sandwich. So, in order for your premise to be true, your conclusion must already be true. Therefore, your argument is invalid. You have committed the logical fallacy of begging the question. You have put forward an argument whose validity requires that its own conclusion is true. Well, all right, Alex, that is your name. First of all, I must acknowledge that you probably know more about formal logic than I do. You certainly 
gain credit for using the correct definition of begging the question, which does not mean pose the question, but as you say, putting forward an argument whose validity requires its own conclusion is true. Everyone uses that wrong. I get very pedantic about it. So I have sympathy to you, even though you say that I am wrong. I only have one thing to point out, which is it was not The Tonight Show. It was The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Sorry, Fruit of the Poison Tree. <laughs> You're wrong. I'm right. <laughs> you burnt. You started with a false premise, Alex. <laughs> Judge John Hodgman wins again. This is the sound of a gavel. And by the way, Jesse Thorne, all these pedants are fantastic. I can't yeah. choose between them. It would require a particularly pedantic set of distinctions to find one winner among all of them. So guess what? We're going to email you. We're going to get your addresses. And you're all going to get a sash. A pageant sash that marks you as one of the several, not first runner-ups, winners of the 2018 pageant of pedantry. It will say J.J. Ho League of Pedants on the sash, and you can wear it proudly, but I hope with some discomfort because uh, there will be a typo in it on purpose. <laughs> Yeah, our big sincere thanks not only to all of the pedants, but to everybody who supports Judge John Hodgman. Um, thank you so much. If you're listening to this, you're one of those folks, and, and we really appreciate you making it possible for us to make this show. And you know who else appreciates it? Our brilliant producer, Jennifer Marmer, because it's the reason she has a job. It's what keeps her dog, George, in kibble. You, your support is what puts kibble in little George's mouth. And truly, thank you for writing your letters to Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. I enjoy hearing from you. It means so much when you write in to know that you're listening to the show, that so many of you have supported the show in one way or another over the years is beyond meaningful to me. And all I can say is keep your pedantry coming, keep George and kibble and thank you again for all your support this year, uh, and I hope in the future. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. You burned, Alex. You burned! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.